Section seven of Red Men and White. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by David Wales. Red Men and White by Owen Wister. Section seven Salvation Gap. After cutting the gazelle's throat, Dryland had gone out of her tent, secure and happy, in choosing the skilful moment. They would think it was the other man, the unknown one. There were his boot-prints this fine morning, marking his way from the tent, down the hill into the trees. He was not an inhabitant of the camp. This was his first visit, cautiously made, and nobody had seen him come or go except Dryland. The woman was proprietor of the dance-hall at Salvation Gap, and on account of her beauty and habits had been named the American Beer Gazelle by a traveling naturalist who had education, and was interested in the wild animals of all countries. Dryland's relations with the gazelle were colored with sentiment. The sentiment on his part was genuine, so genuine that the shrewd noticing camp joked Dryland telling him he had grown to look young again under the elixir of romance. One of the prospectors had remarked fancifully that Dryland's rusted mustache had livened up, same as flowers you've carried long ways when your girl puts them in a pitcher of water. Being the sentiment of a placer miner, the lover's feeling took no offense or wound at any conduct of the gazelles that was purely official. It was for him that she personally cared. He never thought of suspecting anything when, after one of her trips to Folsom, she began to send away some of the profits, gold, coined sometimes, sometimes raw dust, that her hall of entertainment earned for her. She mentioned to him that her mother in San Antone needed it, and simple-minded Dryland believed. It did not occur to him to ask, or even wonder, how it came that this mother had never needed money until so lately, or why the trips to Folsom became so constant. Counting her middle-aged adorer a fool, the humorous gazelle had actually once, on being prevented from taking the journey herself, asked him to carry the package to Folsom for her, and deliver it there to a certain shotgun messenger of the express company, who would see that it went to the right place. A woman's name and an address at San Antonio were certainly scrawled on the parcel. The faithful Dryland waited till the stage came in, and handed over his treasure to the messenger, who gave him one amazed look that he did not notice. He ought to have seen that young man a while afterwards, the package torn open, a bag of dust on his knee, laughing almost to tears over a letter he had found with the gold inside the wrapping. But Dryland was on the road up to Salvation Gap at that time. The shotgun messenger was twenty-three. Dryland was forty-five. Gazelles are apt to do this sort of thing. After all, though, it was silly, just for the sake of a laugh, to let the old lover learn the face of his secret rival. It was one of those early unimagined nails people sometimes drive into their own coffin. An ancient series of events followed. 
continued abject faith and passion on the miner's part, continued presence of dust from him to the lady, on her part continued trips to Folsom, a lessened caution, and a brag of manner based upon her very just popularity at the Gap. Next, Dryland's first sickening dawn of doubt, jealousy equipping him with a new and alien slyness, the final accident of his seeing the shotgun messenger on his very first visit to the Gap come out of the gazelle's tent so early in the morning, the instant blaze of truth and fury that turned Dryland to a clever, calculating wild beast. So now her throat was cut, and she was good and dead. He had managed well. The whole game had shown instantly like a picture on his brain, complete at a stroke, with every move clear. He had let the man go down the hill, just for the present. The camp had got up, eaten its breakfast, and gone out to the ditches, Dryland along with the rest. Owing to its situation, neighbors could not see him presently leave his claim, and walk back quickly to the gap at an hour when the dance-hall was likely to be lonely. He had ready what to say if the other women should be there, but they were away at the creek below, washing, and the luxurious, unsuspecting gazelle was in bed in her own tent, not yet disturbed. The quiet, wild beast walked through the deserted front entrance of the hall in the most natural manner, and so behind among the empty bottles, and along the plank into the tent. Then, after a while, out again. She would never be disturbed now, and the wild beast was back at its claim, knee-deep and busy among the digging and the wetness, in another pair of overalls, just like the ones that were now under some stones at the bottom of a mud-puddle. And then one very bad, long scream came up to the ditches, and Dryland knew the women had returned from their washing. He raised his head mechanically to listen. He had never been a bad man, had never wished to hurt anybody in his life before that he could remember, but as he pondered upon it in his slow, sure brain, he knew that he was glad he had done this, and was going to do more. He was going to follow those tracks pretty soon, and finish the whole job with his own hand. They had fooled him, and had taken trouble to do it, gone out of their way, made game of him to the quick, and when he remembered, for the twentieth time this morning, that day he had carried the package of gold dust, some of it very likely his own, to the smooth-faced messenger at Folsom, Dryland's stolid body trembled from head to foot, and he spoke blind, inarticulate words. But down below there the screams were sounding. A brother miner came running by. Dryland realized that he ought to be running too, of course, and so he ran. All the men were running from their various scattered claims, and Salvation Gap grew noisy and full of people at once. There was the sheriff also, come up last evening on the track of some stage-robbers, and quite opportune for this, he thought. He liked things to be done legally. The turmoil of execration and fierce curiosity thrashed about for the right man to pitch on for this crime. 
the murdered woman had been so good company, so hearty a wit, such a robust songstress, so tireless a dancer, so thoroughly everybody's friend, that it was inconceivable to the mind of Salvation Gap that anybody there had done it. The women were crying and wringing their hands. The gazelle had been good to them, too. The men were talking and cursing, all but Dryland there among them, serious and strange-looking, so silent that the sheriff eyed him once or twice, though he knew nothing of the miner's infatuation. And then some woman shrieked out the name of Dryland, and the crowd had him gripped in a second, to let him go the next, laughing at the preposterous idea. Saying nothing? Of course he didn't feel like talking. To be sure, he looked dazed. It was hard luck on him. They told the sheriff about him and the gazelle. They explained that Dryland was sort of loony anyway, and the sheriff said, Oh, and began to wonder and surmise in this half-minute they had been now gathered, when suddenly the inevitable boot-prints behind the tent down the hill were found. The shout of discovery startled Dryland as genuinely as if he had never known, and he joined the wild rush of people to the hill. Nor was this acting, the violence he had set going, and in which he swam like a straw, made him forget, or for the moment drift away from, his arranged thoughts, and the tracks on the hill had gone clean out of his head. He was become a mere blank spectator in the storm, incapable of calculation. His own handiwork had stunned him, for he had not foreseen that consequences were going to rise and burst like this. The next thing he knew he was in a pursuit, with pine-trees passing, and the hurrying sheriff remarking to the band that he proposed to maintain order. Dryland heard his neighbor, a true Californian, whose words were lightest when his purpose was most serious, telling the sheriff that order was certainly heaven's first law, and an elegant thing anywhere. But the anxious officer made no retort in kind, and only said that irregularities were damaging to the county's good name, and would keep settlers from moving in. So the neighbor turned to Dryland and asked him when he was intending to wake up, as sleepwalking was considered to be unhealthy. 